This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure, it is our dubious pleasure, to welcome you to episode 612 of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. There ain't nothing dubious about the internet's Joe Patrick. Fair enough. And I am the indubitable Matt Bomb. This week, we're back to the dirty work of reading and reviewing new comics, so you don't have to. After that, the interminable map bomb. After that, we'll tell you about our must-read picks for next week. And after, after that, it's time for another nerd TV segment where we—I did that way wrong. I'm sorry. That was all right. Where we discuss the first two episodes. Nobody can do it as good as you, baby. God. Of Superman and Lois on the CW. But before we jump into the spider buggy for our road trip to Smallville. Part two? Yeah, uh, I feel like we're revisiting Smallville. <laughs> it is review time in the cigarette. This week's pile is full of dead dogs. Old-timey nuclear bombs, Keanu Reeves lookalikes, and Mirrorverse Justice Leaguers that lack evil facial hair. Yeah, I figured do it. Where's the, you know, you got to have the weird little Fu Manchu beard yeah. so we know like, you're even evil. Wonder, even Superwoman, man. <laughs> yeah, come on. <laughs> Kick us off, bomb. My first review this week, speaking of evil, Justice Leaguers is of the crime syndicate, number one from DC, a book that we would have had to create had they not created it for us. It's written by Andy Schmidt with or, art. I think that's the quote. Yeah. <laughs> with art by Kieran McCown. Finally, we get the ongoing series following the evil version of the Justice League from their evil mirror world where everything is evil except for the bad guys because they're good guys in the evil mirrorverse. You get it? You get it? It's like Bizarro, only not as fun. Sounds cool, right? It's not. And that's all that's really happening here. Evil versions of Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman, The Flash, Green Lantern wreaking havoc on their world and a backup story that shows young Ultraman, who is evil Superman, Forced to work the farm by his evil parents. <laughs> I love bad guys. And the idea of an evil version of the Justice League is certainly fun on paper. But the script here is so surface level silly evil. Like they go as far as to mention that like Benedict Arnold is our founding father here in a scene in the White House. You know, there is nothing to grab onto at all. It's just dumb. How are these characters supposed to be compelling when they're just basic bad versions of the Justice League being bad because that's what they do? I don't have a problem with the idea of the crime syndicate. And I even loved them when Grant Morrison wrote them in the Earth 2 graphic novel that he did years ago. These creators may have just been completely out of their depth. The art was also really wonky at best. The story reads like the full extent of their research was the Justice League, but evil. Got it. I'm giving this a leave it. Not only was this bad, why do we need this? I mean, did, was anyone clamoring for a crime syndicate series right now? And this yeah, is what you offer? I, there's nothing wrong with the crime syndicate as a concept or, or Earth 3 as a concept where good is bad and bad is good. Sure. That's, that's compelling and fun. To be fair, that can be very difficult to write. And if I'm one of these creators and this is the script I turned in, I would hope my editor would be like, let's try this again. Let's rework this right. a little bit. What do you the, think? The problem, the problem here is twofold. One, there's no actual story to go with it. No. It's just like, here's the crime syndicate. They're doing bad stuff. Ha ha. Uh, also, the execution is so ham handed that I was rolling my eyes every page, like Ultraman with the dropped G's, like everything's happening and doing. And like, he, he hasn't met it. He, he hates G's. The guy doesn't put a G at the end of any G word. <laughs> well, maybe they're trying to make him hip with the kids. You know, the kids no, are that is not hip. That's rapping not hip with the kids. and happening and <laughs> no, <laughs> stepping. No. I will be the first to tell you, Yes, I'm an artist. I am an amateur artist at best. 
I am not capable of drawing a full length comic book with any sort of professional level of quality. Um, this art is bad. It's not good. It, and it's it, legit I, like, not I, good. I, I'm, I'm just like with Infinite Frontier being DC's new thing where it's like they're putting their best foot forward on this new endeavor. This is what we get. Yeah. What, Pro- that, like That's my question. Why march this out? I don't get it. Because again, and we've discussed this when we bump into a book like this, we're not dealing with two indie creators first foray into comics. We're not dealing with that at all. They're creators we don't know, but they're working for DC Comics. Andy and, Schmidt is a name I recognize from comics. DC I don't recognize a, the artist. Fair name, enough. I do recognize Andy Schmidt. But I'm saying DC has a full editorial staff that read this, that reviewed it, that okayed it, and then they put it out. Why? Why? Yeah, I, like, I, I, I don't want to keep dogpiling because I don't want it to come off as sounding mean, but this is just... This is a this is a poorly executed book and it's a bad look for Infinite Frontier. Yeah, I don't get it. It's a good thing that they I had other books that came out this week. Or else I had been really worried because the other two books were pretty good. Yeah, I really enjoyed uh, the Swamp, Swamp Thing. Thing and and Crime Sin, or, uh, Swamp Thing and Suicide Squad were both kind of fun. Yeah. But uh yeah, no, this this is a huge leave it. Like I got done reading it and I was mad. I was so beside myself that I tweeted out an early review on Twitter and Matt got mad at me. You're for definitely it. dogpiling now, by the way. <laughs> so you're like, I don't want right, to dogpile, sorry. but I was right. so mad. <laughs> sorry. Andy Schmidt, I'm sure you're a very nice person. I'm sure he is. And I'm sure they can do better than this. I, I almost wonder if this was rushed or they were pushed into it or it just seems we should, weird. We but, should quit while we're not ahead. And why the crime syndicate? Have them show up and do stuff. Sure. Do I need a series? No. No. I don't. My first review is of Nuclear Family, number one from Aftershock. America, 1957. Elvis dominates the airwaves and apple pie is served after every meal. But with the dark cloud of nuclear holocaust looming, Korean War vet Tim McLean's major concern is taking care of his family in the atomic age. This is based on Philip K. Dick's short story Breakfast at Twilight. Uh, this adaptation is written by Stephanie Phillips, uh, who did Butcher of Paris at Dark Horse, which Matt liked, and uh, Tony Shastin, who has done some work with IDW Star Trek. He is excellent. He's great. The creators packed this issue full of Americana with classic cars, fashion, and family values. Tim is a car salesman. He's uncomfortable with the idea of doing whatever it takes to secure a sale. So you just know that there's going to be some conflict when he's got to do whatever it takes to survive the <laughs> nuclear holocaust. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Uh, he's also a dedicated family man with a wife and two kids nestled in a quiet Milwaukee suburb. After dealing with the usual family drama, Tim retires to the basement and his prized ham radio setup, which is a total 1950s dad thing to do. That's when the bombs start to drop. Now, while we don't get too far into the actual premise of the series, Phillips wisely takes the time to get readers invested in the lives of Tim and his family. And without that important character work, if, if they just kind of jumped right into it and said, hey, here's a family and here's how they survive. I'm not sure I'd be that interested in what happens to these people in the next issue. The work by Tony Shastin is really excellent and he's got a soft style and he's got expressive faces that reminded me a bit of Nicola Scott. I also want to give a shout out to colorist J.D. Mettler. Now, I'm not 100% sure how this sort of thing works when we've got, uh, you know, who I, who I assume is a digital line artist working with a digital colorist. Right. But if you look at the line art, the line art is not black. The line art is a different shade of whatever color it's surrounding. So, like, if, it's, if he's drawing a purple car, the outline of the car is like a darker purple. And it really makes that line art pop uh, by deviating from that standard black line. And I'm, I have to assume it's because of colorist J.D. Mettler. So shout out to that guy or lady. I don't know. I don't know. No, J.D. Jenny Diane Mettler. <laughs> Jenny Diane Mettler. <laughs> <laughs> Nuclear Family number one has an interesting premise that could have been overlooked if not for a compelling setup by Phillips and great art by Shastine and Mettler. I'm giving it a buy it. Okay, I, I like this for all the reasons that you liked it. 
but I'm only giving this a skim it because I needed them to get to the end faster. <laughs> See, that was my, that was the you know point I, mean? I was trying to make about the taking the time to I get it and get yeah. us introduced to the family and all that. And I know, and maybe if I'm reading this in a graphic novel setting, I feel different because I'm burning through it. But I did feel like there was a lot of setup, Americana setup that it just, it wasn't poorly written. It wasn't poorly drawn. It just didn't do a whole lot for me. And when we got to the end, like, okay, here we go. Finally, we're someplace where I'm, I'm wondering what's happening and I'm interested. It just took a little bit to get there. So I'm giving it a skim it. It's not a bad book. It just took a minute to get going. And it really didn't hook me until the very last page, honestly. Next up for me is Berserker. That's Berserker with no vowels. I don't know why. Number one from Boom. It's written by Keanu Reeves and Matt Kind with art by Ron Garney, who Keanu Reeves turned to and said, draw me, dude. (laughs) The story starts with no warning, no exposition, just a very obvious homage to Keanu Reeves being dropped into a war zone where he proceeds to murder his way to his target in the most violent ways you can possibly think of. His character is immortal, but not in a pretty way. He takes damage, he bleeds, he burns, but he doesn't stop. Keanu is immortal and seems to be working for the U.S. government, but it's only because they are promising him a way out. Not retirement, that is, but death. Ron Garney is unstoppably amazing on art in this issue. Last year, we loved his work on the Fantastic Four Grimm one-shot, and he was obviously developing an even newer style for himself. Here, his style has taken an even bigger jump. He's, He's channeling Joe Kubert and Frank Miller, drawing some of the most violent comic work I've seen in years. Matt Kent is credited as co-writer, But you can feel Reeves' style all over the book. You can hear him delivering John Wick-style lines, and it just works. When we first talked about this title on the show, we chuckled a little bit like it was going to be a gag comic written by a movie star dabbling in comics, but wow, was I completely wrong. Berserker, pardon me, I'm burping. Berserker was violent poetry with an excellent script top-notch art, and a last page that would bring any comic book nerd back for more. Uh, This is such a huge buy-it. Yeah, I loved this. You know, I wasn't sure what to expect. You know, this book was all hype. It was hype, 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 hype. Definitely, yeah. Keanu Reeves is writing a comic book. Ooh, Matt Kent's writing it. 600,000 copies (laughs) pre-ordered. What the shit? (laughs) Uh, You know, they switched artists in midstream due to the original artist having a family, uh, uh, family drama or family um, situation. Oh, it wasn't and, that Keanu uh, Reeves decided he was a dickhead, like we said on the last show. No, that's what you said on the show. <laughs> the poor guy. <laughs> uh, so Ron Garney stepped in and did an incredible job. Ron Garney only gets better. He only gets better over time. Yeah. And that's not something that you can always say about older comic artists that have been around for a few decades. But this book looked phenomenal. Uh, I loved the story. I thought that the, you know, the, um, the twist, let's say on, uh, the immortality gimmick was super interesting. Like that guy is not indestructible. No, no, no. Uh, and it takes a lot out of him, but, uh, he just can't seem to give up the ghost and, uh, I'm definitely back for more. This was a buy it for me. Pleasant surprise. My love for you is like a truck bounce. My next review goes to Infinite Frontier number zero from DC. Infinite Frontier number zero is another setup anthology that the big two essentially use as sales gimmicks to get you to buy their upcoming titles. As such, we get samples from a wide array of stories. And again, it could have potentially been a mixed bag. However, I thought Infinite Frontier was executed pretty well thanks to a framing sequence from writer Joshua Williamson and the presence of DC's top creators. We've got your, you got your Bendis, you got your, uh, you got your tiny onion, you've got your Jorge Jimenez. New status quos abound for titles like Batman, Green Lantern, Superman, and others, plus glimpses of potential new titles for Oracle and the Batgirls, Stargirl, Green Arrow, and the JSA. Some of the quote unquote big developments seem obvious based on what we saw during future state, while others 
are very exciting. Welcome back, Wally. The art is fairly excellent throughout, with the brightest spot being the Gotham City chapters by Jorge Jimenez and Tomiu Mori. Oh, my God. Uh, it, were... Like, breathtaking. That le- that page where Batman finally reveals himself? Yeah. Holy crap. I, I set the book down that I was reading and immediately texted you and said, this is the best spread page I think I've ever seen of Batman. It is Ama- like chills give me chills it's so yeah, fucking it, cool it was truly it was truly stunning uh the big end reveal does feel a little bit been there done that yeah. but overall i thought infinite frontier number zero did its job to get me interested in a lot of what dc has coming over the next several months uh, i'm giving this a buy it based on the execution with the caveat that not every fan's going to care about every story. And that's just the way it is. Well, with every sure. Anthology. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing you can do about that with any of these yeah. setup books. That's the rule. I'm saying this was a massive success because yeah. when I put it down, I felt really good about DC comics for the first time in a long time. Boy, honestly, where I'm just like any part of this looks like something that I'm interested in reading. And they did little things that we've been screaming about forever. And I'm not going to start spoiling stuff for people, but you've heard Joe and I yelling about it on the show constantly. Why would you do that to this character? Why would you do that to this character? There's so much here that I'm excited about that they are, and they're gentle things. They're little gentle things that they're doing that we've been yelling about for years that we couldn't figure out, like, why are they being such an asshole to this character? Or why has this character been shunted to the background? We can do this. We can have this kind of fun and tell these stories. And, man, I felt really good about it. I'm giving this a gigantic buy it. It was a lot of fun. And I disagree when you say they've sort of been there, done that with the last page. I felt like, good. It's good that we're back here. We we know what what's going on there. We've got a big bad. Let's go. Because I am so much at, more at ease with that than Pandora and the time stream and the, you know. Perpetua. Like, per, yeah, whatever. Perpetua and all that bullshit. Like, come on. We've got great bad guys. Let's use great bad guys. And it seems like we're getting back to that. So I'm excited. I, I had a lot of fun with the Bendis Justice League stuff, too. I think that's going to be great. Yeah, and once again, proving what we knew from the start is that Shez Adam is nothing. <laughs> they did say it three times here. <laughs> well, yes, that. but it's not a thing. It's just something that people locally called him. Yeah. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice. Up next for me is Noctera, number one from Image. It's written by Scott Snyder with art by Tony Daniel. On a morning like any other, Val Riggs was in school when the sky started to dim. And 23 minutes later, the whole world was pitch dark. Val was born legally blind, but surgery would cure her in the orphanage she was growing up in. She was then adopted, and just after that, the sky goes dark. Now Val drives a big rig, ferrying people between artificially lit safe havens while fighting off twisted dark creatures that used to be animals and humans changed by the dark called shades. The more time you spend in the dark, the more you risk becoming a shade. It's almost like a disease. So people wear costumes covered in lights to prevent infection. There's rumors of enclaves of rich people with giant sun lamps. But for now, the world we have seen is small, well-lit towns under a dark sky in mortal fear of the people that have become shades. In true fashion, Snyder has built an entire world and gently fleshed it out while building a mystery without pages of exposition. He's really good at that, which leads me to ask more questions about, like, why this JLA shit that you did? But we're not going into that. Tony Daniels' style has reached modern master level, although he is still drawing small wave girls as his heroines. There's a lot to love here. And I admit, when we first talked about Noctera, it sounded to me like a walking dead with a twist, but it's definitely its own book. It's good to see Snyder stepping away from DC heroes and working on original stories that are surely already in development for a streaming service. I really like the setup here, the small amount of character development we got, and the weird look of the light suits and this world. I'm giving this a buy it. It felt really fresh. It felt very cool, and I feel sorry for the actors. They're going to have to work overnight all for months at a time shooting this. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I thought this was great. Um, I, I I love the little like it's it, it's not even like 
they have high tech light suits for the most part. It's no. Like, People are wearing weird outfits with like Christmas lights strung on well, they, them. They like got on Amazon.com, ordered LED light strip sticky stuff and just right, wrapped yeah. it around. <laughs> I was like, no. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I thought this was, I agree. I thought this was uh, a very, uh, a very interesting premise. Um, you know, I, I, I think that Snyder, you know, I, I, I think Snyder is a very talented writer. I think his he is strongest without talking without talking shit about any of his superhero work. I think that he is strongest when he's doing his creator own work that yeah. he's definitely invested when in. He, when the um, dude is in his own sandbox, he kicks ass. I mean, see American like even, Vampire. Even if that even if that creator own work is at DC or whatever, like American Vampire or The Wake or what have you, like he is a fantastic world builder. And I thought that he did a great job setting up the premise of this universe. Uh, Tony Daniel's art was excellent. Just yeah. hands down. Wonderful to look at. But um, every time yeah, I yeah. turned a page, I was like, okay, when are we going to get to the gigantic pit Hulk type character that hangs out with the little girl? Cause that used to be we his jam. <laughs> he did yeah. like seven of those books in a row. <laughs> like little girl, giant Hulk thing. <laughs> But yeah, I, I thought this was excellent. It's a buy it from me. I'm looking forward to more. Uh, and yeah, you are totally right, though. Like if this doesn't already have some sort of TV yeah, deal. It's got to. <laughs> it has to. I'm sure yeah. FX has got this working right now. Next up, Dead Dog's Bite, number one from Dark Horse. Cormac Guffin has gone missing. It's been three days and no one has seen neither hide nor hair of her. The police have nothing and the townsfolk are acting more like a funeral procession than a search party. If Cormac has any hope of being found, it rests on the slouching shoulders of her best friend, Joe. And Joe will need her wits about her, though, because like any story worth hearing, nothing is what it seems. Uh, so this solicit and the description, quote, Twin Peaks meets Ladybird. <laughs> End quote was enough to draw me in to at least read this first issue by four kids walking to a bank artist, Tyler Boss. Uh, he's also writing this. Boss infuses the story with a surreal edge by adding an omniscient narrator that appears and disappears from any scene at will. Pender Mills is a strange town full of even stranger characters, and I really enjoyed getting to know several of them as Joe navigated her way through the story. Boss's script kept me compelled as I learned more about the mystery behind Cormac's disappearance. The book also features excellent art by Boss with frequent use of a rigid grid layout and thick, clean lines. I was planning on reviewing something other than Dead Dog's Bite number one, but I'm glad that I didn't. This issue hooked me, and I'll definitely be back for the next. I'm giving it a buy it. See, I had a different reaction. I thought the art was really good and I liked the look of the book. And I thought that delivered an odd enough feeling that when they tried to get weird with a lot of the dialogue, it just kind of came off as stilted. And I, and I wasn't totally getting what he was going for with it at some points. And it even started to bore me after a little bit because it just felt like, this is weird, right? You think this is weird? That's, this character is weird. This was, see, that was weird what that character said, right? Like, I get it. Thank you. Yes, it's weird. But I mean, that's Twin Peaks, man. That's I don't exactly disagree. what Twin Peaks is. I think that is very difficult to take that from Twin Peaks and put it into comic book form. And uh, see, now it, I, I, like, it didn't work for I me. disagree with your reaction. Like, I loved each new weird-ass character. Like, when, when she was at the store getting her prescription... And the freaking pharmacist kept making up new names for his busted hands. No, and I was he, like, that's kind of funny. Like that was clever. And I didn't mind that, but every single character did that in this book. And after a while, it just started to get to, okay. So everyone is crazy. Like one of the best things about twin peaks was you had some normal characters stuck in with reg with crazy characters that showed you like, there is definitely something odd going there. And, but that's Joe and the boyfriend. That's, that's I, the point of view character. But even they spoke really strangely to each other. And it just did not work for me. It didn't hit mm. the same way that it did for you. I don't think it was bad. I think he's taking some chances here and doing some weird stuff that is very difficult to pull off. I'm, I'm giving it a skim it. I'm not giving it a, a leave it. 
but it just didn't land the same way for me. Maybe it's going to, maybe when I read more of it, because I am going to read the next issue, I want to see what's going on. I'll start to figure out the form, you know, the feel of it better and it'll sink in. But man, I just kept stop reading. I kept stopping reading it. Like, all right, I'll just come back. I'll come back when I'm more interested. And that's not a good sign for me to skim it. I guess this book just isn't for assholes. I guess so. That could be it. Yeah. My final review of the day goes to America Chavez. Number one from Marvel. This is written by Kalinda Vasquez with art by Carlos E. Gomez. Miss America Chavez is back to punch holes in reality and confiscate haters in the face. She's brown. She's beautiful. She's dropped the miss. She's just America now, and she's queer, and she doesn't care if you deal with it or not. The story starts with a very Kryptonian orphan feel as a family finds a lost little girl that fell to Earth and decides to raise her as their own. Flash forward 13 years, and we pick up after the last Chavez story where she was recently a West Coast Avenger. Now she's living with her partner and fellow hero, Ramon, and her powers are starting to mysteriously fail. Now that won't stop her from beating up giant shrews and investigating a force field that surrounds her adopted parents' apartment anyway. America Chavez is an important character in a market where queer characters are grossly underrepresented. And this comic features not one, but two queer characters. Now, that said, a comic can be very well represented, but it needs to be fun to read too. While the story moved very fast and was peppered with some pretty cheesy dialogue at times. It's obviously not written for old jerks like me. It was very charming, but surface level charming. I will say Gomez art is bright, slick and perfect for the impending young Avengers title. We all know is coming. This title is going to get a lot of hate for the wrong reasons, unfortunately, but I applaud Marvel for sticking by this character. This is a good book to put in front of tweens, later teens, any girl that wants to get into comics, certainly, or any trans kid that wants to get into comics, please put this in front of them, giving it a buy it. I mean, look, I don't even like, while I do agree with, with what you just said, I don't think that like this is has a limited audience either. Like I'm I not saying this. a limited audience. I'm saying for someone who's looking for someone like them, that's in a comic book. Sure. Sure. Yes. Um, yeah. I, I think America is a great character. Um, and while I do agree that it did have some, some writing ticks that, you know, were kind of like young adult. Yes. Young like, adult novel kind of, like you know, I'm writing to a certain audience. Sure. And, which and Matt Bomb, again, it's not fucking you. <laughs> that's <laughs> you know? totally like, fine. That's fine. You know, like, yeah. Hey, look, man, I loved the Hunger Games. I loved the Harry Potter books before I learned that the author was a raging homophobe sure. or transphobe. Transphobe. Um, but yeah, I thought this was excellent. Uh, I, I thought that the mystery surrounding what was going on with the family uh, was compelling. The art, uh, by Carlos Gomez, who I do not recognize. No, uh, I've was, never heard this guy's name. And this dude is amazing. Excellent. Yeah. Fantastic art. Uh, I, I, this was a huge buy for me. Uh, and uh, I'm looking forward to reading the next issue. He had like a very Stuart Immerman kind of style to him, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, sure. Maybe a little flashier, but God damn, that guy was good. It did take me several beats to remember the developments of West Coast Avengers and what the deal was with her girlfriend. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, see, I didn't know because I didn't finish it. So I was just like, okay, I'll take your word for it. Here we yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, she's <laughs> she's stuck in some sort of robot suit or uh, uh, some sort of uh, silvery armor stuff. But and yeah, no. It, it, like, they definitely wrote this thinking, you definitely read West Coast Avengers. So here we go. Yeah, <laughs> if I'm, if I'm going to, yeah, right. If, if know, I had one main complaint, it would be that, uh, they barely explained. Yeah, it's not the best of jumping on points. A lot of stuff. If like, yeah. if you've been curious about Miss America Chavez, I don't know that I would say start here. You know, because it, you definitely are dropped into this without question. I mean, I think I, I think that they did do a fine job explaining uh, her her origin. Yeah, uh, through the point of view of the the uh, social studies kid. But uh, yeah, like there was nothing at all about the girlfriend. Nothing. No, and I, and I really didn't know. I just went, okay, I'll take your word for yeah. it. <laughs> the world is mine. Final review of the week. 
it goes to Jana and the Unpossible Monsters, number one from Oni Press. Husband and wife team Chris and Laura Somni team up. I used team twice in that sentence. Team I apologize. Team. For their first creator-owned work with this tale of a young girl searching for her missing monster-chasing sister. This is exactly why we're not going to win any of those podcast awards. I know. This, team. this is why. Team, team. Set one year after Jana's disappearance, her sister Rainbow keeps up the search despite overwhelming odds. The Somnies bring a lot of heart to this issue, and the world they've created is full of character. Chris's art brings an animated quality to the story with visually unique characters and breathtaking creature designs. I've mentioned this before on the show, but something they teach you uh, when you study animation is how important it is for each character to have a unique silhouette so that if all you saw was a black shape, you would know who that was. Right. You'd be like, that's Mickey Mouse. That's Popeye. Right. That's Scooby-Doo, right. whatever. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's Jabberjaw. That's uh, the main character from the Hair Bear Bunch. Right. Um, and that's what this book had. Like, if this was nothing but black shapes, I'd be like, that's the grandma. That's Jana. That's the sister. If you could name the main character from the Hair Bear Bunch, I would take my, head my headphones off and just walk away and be like, okay, I, we're done here. <laughs> you won. <laughs> I, oh my God. I cannot. Uh, you know, I, I watched a lot of USA Cartoon Express as a kid, and Hair Bear Bunch was a regular fixture. But sadly, I cannot remember the name of the main character. Matt Wilson's stunning colors add a bright spark to Somni's line art. Uh, it's, I love it when artists, uh, when color artists have that kind of like, it's almost grainy looking. It's almost kind of like a film grain. Yeah. Uh, instead of just like digital flat. And like, I just really appreciate that kind of coloring and Wilson is a master of it. It makes it look like an old, like Rankin and Bass or old. Like Hanna-Barbera or. Yeah. It makes it look like an old cartoon. It really yeah. does. Jana and the Unpossible Monsters, number one, is an incredible debut issue from a group of talented creators. And it's an excellent first effort for a creator-owned property. This gets a huge buy it from me. This is going to sound like an insult, but it's not. This was cute. This was like just yeah. cute, but in the best way. Like it was fun. You see like the character, Jana, like running, you know, doing her Tarzan thing, jumping through the trees and stuff, chasing something and you don't know what it is. And then when you do see what it is, it's a giant goddamn monster. You know? Yeah. And I, this was great. Like, it was, and it was really, and then they do this great thing where they take the character, the main character, the named character on the cover of the book out of the story. And you're like, what happened? What the hell? Yeah. Like, you know, now I have to know. It, it's a it's a trick. It, it's, but it's a great trick, and it worked really well here. And yeah, I love the art. I love the look of it. I love the feel. And you can tell these are two people that care about this story, and they're just doing a great job. They're killing it. It's so great. Yeah, Huge I mean, it also like it also felt very like Studio Ghibli, you know, where it's just like yeah, very much. So. This is a beautiful, lush world with strange yeah. creatures and bizarre humans, uh, like. And there's stuff in the back matter where uh, they interview Chris Somney. Well, they interview both of them. And um, they talk about how this, that like this was purposefully aimed at like a middle grade audience, you know, uh, sixth, seventh, eighth grade. Uh, and while, yeah, it shows in a way, but it's never like, it's not like. Um, it doesn't feel like a children's book. Right. It's not, it's also not obvious, right? right? Where like, I just, I just read this and had a blast. Yeah. Uh, this he also like, talks this about reads like bone, which is a book we constantly yes, talk about yes. where it's like, yes, this is definitely written for kids, but it's so well-written that right. it's going to pull you through the story. Like I read it in right. like 10 minutes because I was just like, whoa, 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 what happened? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, Chris Somney talks about like uh, how they went about creating the creature designs and how they were all built on the idea of real animals but kind of combined in weird ways so it's like the weird ridges on a humpback whale plus the beak of a pterodactyl yeah. and the like it's like very jim henson like, monster factory type thing yeah yeah uh, and it's just like this it's absolutely stunning by, I, I loved it by the way dawes butler is your leader of the hair bear bunch I was just Googling it, damn He's it. the one with the fro. He was their leader. Yeah, obviously, the one with the fro is the leader. Yeah, of course.
Joe, who wins? Out of this pile, favorite comic. Let's hear it. Okay, well. Gosh, I don't know. You don't think um, about this before we get to this part? Really? <laughs> well, that's the thing is that I have been thinking about it. And it's like, well, like, I expected to like Berserker because of the creative team. I expected to like Jana because of the creative team. Infinite Frontier was pleasantly surprising in the fact that it was a quality read from start to finish. Yeah. But I think I'm giving it to Jana and the Unpossible Monsters. Like when I finished that comic book, I just felt good. Yeah, it was, I felt good. It was I great. wanted to read the next one. Uh, mine goes to Berserker. And, and if there were no words in that comic book, mine would still go to Berserker because Ron Garney's art, I, I can't say enough about it. It was fantastic. Just so happened the story kicked ass too. And it was. It, like it... It was a really good week for new books, and I know that you and I disagreed on a couple, um, but like, I was pleasantly surprised with a lot of the stuff I read this week. Now it's time to head up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum where we can relax after a long review sesh and project our astral selves to the comic shelves of next week to make our must-read picks. Matt. What should these nerds be reading next week? Next week, you need to pick up Proctor Valley Road, number one of five from Boom Studios. It's written by Alex Child and Grant Morrison with art by Naomi Franquiz? 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 I don't know. It's 32 pages. Franquiz. It's 32 pages for $3.99, Naomi. I apologize. Here's your solicit. Perfect for fans of Paper Girls and die! Visionary writer, Grant Morrison. I'm not going to go into everything he's written. And Alex Child, who worked on BBC's Holby City. I don't know what that is. I'm not British, so I have no idea. And Naomi Franquiz of Tales of from Harrow County present a chilling new horror series about the mysterious monsters that haunt Proctor Valley Road and the four misfit teenagers who must stop them. August, Riley, Cora, and Jenny have organized a spook tour with their classmates on the most haunted, demon-infested stretch of road in America to fund attending the concert of their dreams. When their visit turns deadly, these four friends race to rescue the missing students before the town tears them limb from limb. Now they must slay evils roaming Proctor Valley Road, along with the monsters lurking in the hearts of 1970s America. Now, check this out. Proctor Valley Road, real place. And there are Whoa. real urban myths about this. There's a fantastic podcast, not that you should be listening to any other podcast but ours, called Mysterious Universe. It's two Australian guys that host it. They're so delightful. And sometimes they believe a little too much, but I forgive them every time. <laughs> They're great. And they had a show where they talked about Proctor Valley Road and the guy that wrote a book about it. So Graham Morrison, man, he's involved. Neat. I'm in. Totally down. That's neat. Joe Patrick, tell these nerds what they need to read. My pick for next week is Nonstop Spider-Man number one from Marvel Comics. It did actually get stopped for a while, but it's back. It's written by Joe Kelly with art by Chris Bacalo. It's 40 pages for $4.99. Well, if it hadn't started yet, it wasn't stopped. I suppose. <laughs> you know, I, I just, guess. It was like not begun yet Spider-Man, you know? Sure, right, yeah. Any minute now, Spider-Man. Right, exactly. <laughs> Get ready for the most action-packed, pulse-pounding, adrenaline-pumping comic of all time! As the name implies, once you read page one, panel one, Spider-Man does not stop! A mystery at Empire State University thrusts Spider-Man into an adventure that starts in uptown Manhattan and will take him around the world, pitting him against Marvel Universe villains old and new, and give you a Spider-Man adventure, and Spider-Man, the likes of which you've never seen. This book is not for the faint of heart, so check with your doctor before reading. So it's fine for all audiences, as long as they're not faint of heart. Yeah, no, this is a classic tame all-ages book. Okay. <laughs> um, no, uh, you know, this was announced, uh, you know, at least a, a year ago or so, and, uh, you know, COVID, whatever. It, I, it, I feel like things, we talked about happened. this like two or three years ago. It wasn't point, that long ago, no. Jesus. It only, feel, it only feels that way because 2020 was three years ago. That's right. That's right. Uh, but, I, like, this creative team, like, I'm, it's, a mu it's at least a, a must-read issue one yeah. in every, every case. They're going to have to go out of their way to screw this one up. You know what I mean? Like, it, with this much creative power and this art, you know, like, come on. They're going to have to really reach 
to screw it up. So right, like I I love Joe Kelly. I think he writes a great Spider Man. Oh yeah, and oh yeah, uh, you know Chris Bacalo. I've been a huge fan of his since Generation X number one back in 90, 1994. And yeah, I'm excited for this. I I think it's going to be nonstop fun. I love Joe Kelly. Period. Always in for him. The THN Trade of the Week goes to Mike Mignola's Quarantine Sketchbook. It's a hardcover from Dark Horse. It's 208 pages. It's $39.99. Here's your solicit. During the coronavirus quarantine, legendary Hellboy creator Mike Mignola posted original pencil sketches online and auctioned off the art to raise money for Jose Andreas World Central Kitchen. Jose Andreas, uh, celebrity chef, dude is amazing. I love this guy. The sketches went viral and were the talk of the comics internet. Now those sketches are published in print for the first time with all profits going to the World Central Kitchen. This new oversized hardcover collection is a must-have for Magnola readers and art fans alike. The book features an introduction by Magnola, sketches of Hellboy, beloved and unexpected pop culture characters, macabre chess pieces, gothic vegetable creatures, strange vampires, and more. Yeah, it's true. We, I was watching him putting these sketches up and my our buddy Ryan Forrest, our consigliari, was just like, "Oh my God, did you see the new one? Did you see the new one?" And every, it was yeah. just depressing because he would go straight to eBay with them, and like the opening bid would be like five bucks, and the next bid would be like twenty nine thousand dollars. <laughs> like his <laughs> sons of bitches, yeah, I'm never gonna own the original Mike Mignola art. God damn it! <laughs> yeah, uh, like I was so obsessed with these that I actually saved a bunch of them. And ended up using a bunch uh, for inking practice on my own Instagram. So, yeah. like, uh, I even inked and colored one by request for Ryan. He was like, I need this. Can you please ink this and color it? And, I was like, and this, was, yeah, this was all Mignola. He went to Jose Andreas yeah. and was like, this is too cool. I want to be a part of it. And Because, like, you know, tell me, Jose Andreas, celebrity chef, South American dude, is, like, a Hellboy fan? I hope so, but I kind of doubt it. <laughs> so- but like, if you think it's going to be just Hellboy, no, it's no. like, there's like a whole, there was like a whole month of He-Man characters. There's yeah. Sesame Street They're characters. so Muppets. fucking cool. <laughs> there, it ain't lying when they say gothic vegetable creatures. Yeah. Uh, Mike Mignola's Skeletor, by the way. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. my God. <laughs> uh, like, so this is a phenomenal collection of wonderful art pieces and the money goes to a good cause. So, you know, obviously- it's the it's the THN trade of the week. Uh, but since Mignola's not making any money off of this, uh, I want to give a shout out to the Kickstarter they just launched for the documentary film about the creation of Hellboy. Uh, oh, cool. Which looks amazing. It's got to be better than that last Hellboy movie. Tell you what. Well, it's yeah, it's about the <laughs> Hellboy comic. Nah, it's not. A I Hellboy know, movie. I know, I know. Um, but yeah, like I'm, I think that that's going to be really awesome yeah and i watched the hell out of that you know maybe uh maybe we'll get to see it for uh nerd at the movies or something that'd be fun kids you can find our complete review list every wednesday on our twitters and our faces book i know you kids are crazy about that if you want to read along with us so hit up your local comic shop and pre-order all these comics so you can play along and don't forget grab the thn book club of the month read it is scene of the crime which reprints the classic Vertigo crime noir story by the master Ed Brubaker with art by Michael Lark. It's available at your local comic book store. Now we'll be reviewing that at the end of the month with buddies. With buddies. It's time again for our Nerd TV segment where we discuss the latest comics that hit the small screen, and this time, it's the Superman and Lois edition. But before we get into what we thought of the show, we should talk about how we got to this version of Superman and Lois. And, I, you uh, know, I thought we would just sit down and review this, and then, like, I talked to a couple of people about it that watched this, and they're like, what the fuck is this? They had no idea where this came from. So I, I think we should tell some people, like... How did we get here? <laughs> like, why do we have well, this I mean, but, and Lois? Okay. At some point in the run of Supergirl on the CW, they finally got around to introducing her cousin, Superman. Uh, and uh, they introduced it, Lois Lane as well. And 
uh, eventually there was a story that led to Superman and Lois moving to Argo City where he was uh, unpowered. He was normal. They were going to have a kid. I don't remember if the kid was ever born or if she was just pregnant. Um, I think she was just pregnant. I don't think we saw a kid born. But then uh, fast forward to uh, the last big event in the CW uh, universe. Uh, They did Crisis on Infinite Earths, which saw all of the characters uh, coming together. And most of those from the CW, all of them from the CW, actually. except for Stargirl, who, which doesn't really count because she started on DC Universe. Right. Um, all of the CW uh, DC characters, whether they existed on alternate Earths previously or not, uh, were consolidated onto a single Earth, just like what happened in the 80s crisis. And at the end, there's a line, uh, uh, Superman and Lois are flying home, and uh, they uh, they like they call somebody or something. And, uh, the, the person mentions the twins and they're like, Whoa. So like it changed their history. Right. So that they ended up having a, a, a family earlier and they have, now they have teenage boys. Yes. Um, so none of that is actually necessary to understand Superman and Lois. I, I don't, uh, I don't they, think you're going to be lost or anything. I'm not saying that. I'm no. just saying they didn't explain that. And I even this had to a, turn to my wife and she said, why does Superman have twins? That was the first thing Casey said to me when we because started Because when a Kryptonian and an Earth woman love each other very much, <laughs> sometimes they share a special hug. She went on to say, does he have twins in the comics? And I said, no. And, I, and then she said, why are they doing it here? And I said, I don't know. Let's watch the show and see. <laughs> oh, it's going right. to, it's just going to throw people. And you know what? Through me. It threw me. I'm not saying that like you people in your hand holding. This is not, it's not a hand holding thing. It's not like that. This was more to the point of, I, first of all, Tyler Hoechlin is very good. I like him. Yes. He, he plays, he Clark looks Kent great in suit. Superman. And he's a great Clark Kent. I also, uh, Elizabeth Tullock who plays Lois Lane. She's violently skinny, but she's very good. <laughs> I just feel like I, every time I looked at her, I'm like, that woman died in childbirth, giving birth to twins. No way. <laughs> but she's actually a body shame. She's really good. And I like a lot of what they are doing here. I, I like the setup of getting to see Lois Lane as the investigative reporter who is looking into this Morgan edge character that has basically bumped her out of her job. They, her and her husband have lost their jobs at the Daily well, Planet. No, that's Clark was laid off. Lois wasn't. Oh, that's right. Okay. Sorry. But they edit her story or something like that when she writes. Yes. Okay. All right. So let, let me set up the, 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 the premise. Uh, Superman and Lois are living in Metropolis with their family, just as you know, Superman to do. Uh, and uh, he's kind of balancing his home life and his super life. And it's not going great because one of his sons has special needs. Um, or ha- he's got mental health issues and, um, well, that's not all he's got. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I mean, I think uh, we can talk about that. He has superpowers and one son does not. Right. Uh, so, um, he's, he's occasionally working with general, uh, Sam Lane, Lois's dad. And, uh, you know, there's this ongoing crisis where nuclear power plants are getting hit by an unknown force. And, um, it's keeping Superman away from home too much and it's putting a strain on his home life. And I mean, that's a pretty, that's a perfectly good setup. And they like, yeah, they've been forced. I, I, anything, anything else is going to be spoilery. Right. Uh, except We're, for the fact that uh, things that you will probably see in trailers for the show. Uh, one, they end up moving to Smallville for reasons that you will find out in the show. And two, uh, one of the sons has powers and it's not the one you think. Right. And uh, so that's the, that's the elevator pitch of Superman and Lois. And, uh, you know, like you said, I think that um, the, pri- uh, the principal cast uh, does an amazing job bringing Superman and Lois to life. Definitely. I, I think that they're phenomenal in these roles. Definitely. And I, and I think uh, both the kids are really good, too. They're good yeah. actors. They're not, it's not sh- now, the production value 
gets a little schlocky. Everything's in soft focus. A lot of slow-mo. I mean, it's a TV show. ton of swelling music. Like, the entire score is swelling the entire time. You know, it's very CW. But I, I just... I'm two episodes I mean, it's also in. very Zach, like for better or for worse, that's also like very Man of Steel. Oh, yeah. It looks very um, much like, like the Zack Snyder school, but we've softened but thank everything. thank God they're not taking any lessons about the tone from Man of Steel. Absolutely. The tone is completely different. Now, oh, uh, now something, uh, something that we didn't mention that happens in the, uh, again, in like the first five minutes of the episode uh, is that it's Superman recounting uh the story of his life and how he became a family man. And he, he writes about his uh, debut in Metropolis and they do uh, Superman lifting the car from the cover of action. Comics oh, yeah. one. They do all that. Stuff. They, they do the, um, uh, the Fleischer animation costume with the black S uh, and they do the uh, thanks. My mom made it for me from Superman from all seasons and all three of those things. I was like, I'm in. Whatever this show does, I'm in. <laughs> See, I really like that, and I knew that would win you over instantly. But there were other things about this that I don't care about. I like, I literally do not care about. And I think moving back to Smallville takes me right back to like, oh, I really don't want another fucking Smallville centric show, you know. And but it's twins. not like that. I, like Smallville, Smallville was a freak of the week. I thing get it. Where I get every it. teenager in Smallville get high gets possessed by kryptonite. That's not what they're doing. But you're also doing a thing, and I know why they're doing the twin thing. They want to show like how difficult this can be, and how the two brothers are different personalities and whatnot, and how Superman's going to deal with that. But giving one kid powers that Superman has to train now and has to deal with is immediately making him look like a jerk to his other kid. And that's the drama, but that's also because not at, what because I mean. At first, I don't care about it. And I don't, because really at first the it. other kid, because <laughs> at first the other kid is like, it's all good, man. I live, I live, I'm living my right. best life. I'm the quarterback, you know, and that gets flipped on its head right away in the second episode. When the events of episode one bite them in the ass. And all of a sudden life is hell for the, uh, good looking jock kid. Oh, sure. And, and like, I did like Superman. I did like the second episode a little more than the first one. I didn't dislike the first one, but I was like, you're going to sell me on this. You're really going to sell me on this. And they're doing a better job selling it in the second one. There's also like this character that is hitting the nuclear, you know, the nuclear facilities is wearing very master chief armor that I was like, that oh. is exactly what I said. <laughs> like really? <laughs> like, uh, I no, think they could have done a, a better job a, on the armor. And quite honestly, without spoiling anything, there's a big twist about who the character is right underneath the armor without spoiling anything. I wish they would have just full on leaned into that character's armor and just done it. Well, <laughs> you know, like just do it. <laughs> Screw it. We're still not going to uh, know. I, will have, I have something to tell you. I have something to say to you about this off air. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I won't mention it for spoiler reasons. Um, I also think the bad guy's performance, the main bad or the shadowy main mysterious bad guy's performance is not great so far. Well, I think it's hard through, because we only see him in the full armor. Yes. You know, we don't get to see him emote. We don't get to see. Right. Oh, well, well, we do in the second episode a little bit. And like, while I get that the CW is trying to sell this to a younger audience and they're doing it by casting two good looking teenagers. Like they do in every fucking show that are going to make out with other teens and have teen problems. So teens will watch us because we're afraid teens can't relate to Superman. I wish honestly, they would have just done Superman, Lois and Jonathan and let us see Jonathan go on this journey. I don't need the other kid and the other kid's not doing it for me. And I don't care about his story. And I think that story is just going to succeed in making Superman look like a jerk so far. And I don't like that. And we'll see, oh, see where it goes. I totally, I totally not, disagree. Again, I'm not saying I hate the show. I'm saying I just don't see the reasoning here other than we're trying to market this to kids. We're going to try and get kids to well, watch this. They love the Riverdale. Thing. Let's get them Riverdale with Superman and Lois's parents. There we go. Again, again, <laughs> I don't agree that that's what they're doing. Just because it's got teens in it doesn't mean they're trying to sex it up for a teen audience. But we've, we're already because none of the other in that DC teen CW drama. Shows, well, yes, it's got teens, and so it's got teen drama, but the teen drama is not the main part of the show. 
Uh, and I totally disagree with you. I think it's so much more interesting to, to try to see Superman try to deal with having two totally different kids, both of whom uh, end up resenting him at times for totally different reasons. And like struggling to learn how to be a father and a hero to both. And I, I rather than like, and I love the comics with Jonathan, with young Jonathan. Yeah. Um, but like just doing that again, uh, you know, like it's Superman raising a little kid. They haven't done it yet. Be what are you just about? like him. They haven't done that yet. We're doing it again. <laughs> no, I mean, they did, they done it in the comics. Yeah, sure. I mean, so I'll- like watching that story unfold again just on TV where it's like, yep, Superman's raising a kid with powers. It's going to be just, he's going to be just like him. He's going to be Superboy. It's like, yeah, I mean, I've seen that. I'm just saying they still this need, is something, they still this need is to something sell me different. on this. And I don't, this is, I don't need to watch another CW. Like if I, like I said, if I want to watch kids have sex, I'm going to watch Riverdale. Oh, thanks. <laughs> not one kid had sex in this show. Oh, they will. Don't worry. They will. Come on. No, you're, 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 you're building it up to be something that it's, it has not no, demonstrated. And I am not yet. saying it's bad or it's terrible. I'm just saying, I wish it was more focused. I wish they didn't go back to Smallville. I think that's easy. And I think that's an easy play for people that watched Smallville in the past. We're trying to get them back. So we got the older guys and we got two new kids that are real good looking. So we'll get the young kids. It's like, I see you working CW. I see you working, but you got to sell me on it. And you haven't done it yet. I'm not saying it's terrible. I, I'm just saying nah, they haven't I, sold I, me I, on it yet. I disagree with you. I disagree with you. Um, I, I think that the Smallville thing, like it made total sense to me. Superman Clark is having this crisis of, of faith and purpose. And, uh, you know, Lois is supporting him. And then in the second episode, we think like, we finally see, Oh, the show is called Superman and Lois. And now Lois has a purpose and it's an interesting purpose. Yeah. I really like Lois. I have no problem. with And Lois. like, so I have no problems with her being in Smallville. You know, like, I think that that's super interesting, her becoming this small town crusading journalist uh, to try to tackle this corporate mobster. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, I, I've loved this. I loved both episodes that have been released so far. Uh, I think the acting is great. I think the uh, people involved are great. Uh, I agree with you so far. The villain seems a little bit undercooked. Right. And we're, um, and we're talking and pretty obvious who the villain's gonna be i'm not gonna spoil it but we're talking about an important villain here and like but there's a twist come on i need it like you can't you can't screw this one up you know but there's a twist like it's not it's one thing if it's like toy man like all right fine he's gonna beat up toy man a couple episodes we won't worry about it again (laughs) but it's not it's not as simple as it being a familiar big name villain like there's there's something else going on and that I think is very interesting. Um, I, I think that uh, uh, Dylan Walsh, who plays Sam Lane, uh, is great because I loved that how at first he was like he had a good working relationship with Superman. And then the second the crack started a show uh, when a Superman wanted to, like, prioritize his family. Well, that was actually the main reason. Superman wants to prioritize prioritize his family. And General Lane is like, fuck that. Well, he has a great line where, where he says to his daughter lois he's like look you married I told you you married clark kent yeah but you also married superman and superman does not get to have a normal life that yeah. is the shit that i keep referring to when you're talking about how oh they're not victims they were whatever this is how the people this is how people see superman this is how people see the flash like look you have too much power you don't get to be a normal person and you are held to a much different standard i like that but aspect there of the are show. different there are there's room for different interpretations of that i'm not saying that superman as a as a as a superhuman being shouldn't be looked at with a cautious well, eye by some whole, people it's a whole different discussion i just thought it was really interesting that lane took that route yeah no and, know, and, but, and it totally cool. makes sense but it as also opposed makes to sense. like the curse you superman i don't want you dating my daughter that we had for right. 70 years in the pages of action comics you know but it <laughs> it also makes sense to me that this man who was raised as an american midwesterner would want to grow up to have a wife and a family. Like, sure, I, I, don't, know. I, I don't, it's a logical extension to me of what Superman would want. 
Yeah, I, I don't have a problem with that. I'm just saying you haven't sold me on the twins thing yet. They have to sell me on that. And if it leans too far into the teen drama, I'm going to end up checking out because uh, I came here to watch a Superman show. Not super, not kid and super kid. <laughs> so like, that's but all I'm saying. You so got Superman far, in the title. Superman has Superman. been the primary focus of the show. Except for the parts where he's not and I lose interest. The primary focus of the show, not mm. the sole focus of the show. The primary focus of the show. Well, you can catch Superman and Lois every Tuesday on the CW or you can steal it from the internet if you need to. We would love to hear what you guys think about it. Hit us up. Let's talk about it on cover to cover. Let Are it, we going to rate it? Let me know what you're thinking yet. I mean, like I'm giving it a watch it so far. I definitely am. Yeah, to watch it. Yeah. I, I just, they haven't sold me on it. I'm not saying it's great yet. I'm not there. I'm not. I think there. it's great. I know you do. I think it's great. I saw him do three I, things, and I turned to Casey and was like, Joe already loves it. Guaranteed, it's done. <laughs> That's true. I do. I'm all in, for sure. Excelsior! Oh. That is it for THN 611, and next week... The Cosmic Long Box returns, where we read and discuss classic comics from times past based on a theme, and our theme is the other guy. We're going to be reading adventures of heroes that replaced well-established heroes. For instance, when, say, Dr. Octopus replaced Spider-Man for a little bit. You know what I mean? We're not going to read that one, though, because we, <laughs> we were already that doing one. the podcast when that book came out. We will reach back and do some classic stuff, but get ready for the other guy's edition of the Cosmic Longbox. There you go. Joe Patrick, until such time, set these nerds up with a question of the week, will ya? This week's question was submitted by us. It's almost St. Patty's Day, and we want to hear about your favorite Irish characters yeah that's right we're not going to be here next saturday because we've got stuff going on so it'll be the 12th it'll be the week right before st patrick's day we'll be drunk we'll be swilling green beers it'll be the 13th is it the 13th yep oh okay because okay. saturday's the 6th you're right okay stuff is 12th or something. Right. i know I, I know i'm right It'll be the 13th. We'll be swilling green beers and doing our most racially offensive Irish accents to talk about. Oh, fit and big order. Your most ridiculous Irish characters who writers cannot help but just write in the worst oh, accents ever. Has anybody seen Michelele? Uh, now, uh, please... Keep your question of the week suggestions coming. Uh, please keep your question of the week suggestions coming. We do this on a fairly regular basis, almost weekly. If you want to wrap about this week's episode or any of the weekly nerd news we're following, hit us up on the live call-in show. We call it THN Cover to Cover. It happens on Saturdays at 11 a.m. Central Time. It's on our Facebook page. It's on Zoom. You can call us at 402-819-4894 or jump into the Zoom chat live we'll talk to you as though you're in the ziggurat with us. It'll be awesome. Only you won't you get anything click, on yet uh, like we do. Which is, it's we will, disgusting. We will put the link to the Zoom chat in. Uh, we will put the link to the Zoom meeting in the Facebook chat. Uh, we There is also a call now button on the Facebook page. If you can't remember the phone number, which again is 402-819-4894. If you can't be there live or you want to submit anything at all for a show segment, question of the week ask a nerd comic pushers shoot an mp3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com or leave a message on the voicemail hotline and you could be internet famous uh, if you're going to submit something via mp3 or voicemail please remember to keep it two minutes or less we're sharing the air with everybody that's standing in line to talk at us live and in person if you're new to this show and you would rather give birth to twins at the same exact time rather than listen anymore, then that will mess you up for life. I mean, that's how twins work, man. No, you give birth to one and then the other. I'm saying they both come out the same hole at the same time. Whoa! Bam! <laughs> I assure you, it's only because you haven't heard enough. Good news is you can hear the entire RMTHN or digital long box archive. It's over at TwoHeadedNerd.com, but hosting that many episodes ain't cheap. We want to thank donors like Lord Stephen Fino, the THN Master of Coin. He may or may not be embezzling, but you know what? We love that guy. We don't pay attention to our finances, you know so we'll never know. We turn the other cheek. He's so cute. We love him. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to our youngest and toughest listener. Seriously, don't mess with this kid. Hugo Tverdic, 
who celebrated his birthday recently. Where do you, Hugo? And happy belated birthday, buddy. Happy birthday, Sorry we Hugh. missed it, but you know, sometimes there's some weeks we time travel and we just weren't here. Hugo's dad, John, was so moved by uh, the TED Talk that Joe gave on Supergirl on last week's show that he tried to show some of these 90s comics to Hugo and he showed him Superboy from that time. And Hugo took one look at it and went, throw it in the trash. <laughs> I wanted nothing to do with it. You know why? That kid's got taste. Where do you, Hugo? <laughs> Youth is wasted on the young. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just show your friends those pictures of you in fingerless gloves with a leather jacket and circular, like, weird little sunglasses that you used to wear in the 90s. This is the Two-Headed Nerd. Signing off. Joke's on you. I looked good. Oh, don't forget the weird, like, leg bandolers, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs>